Well, hello, and welcome to the Jazz Focus. We are a podcast that uh, likes to explore uh, some unusual corners of the jazz repertoire and some focused corners, I guess you'd have to say. My name is John Clark, and welcome back if you've been with us before, and if not, welcome for the first time. And hope you enjoy these sides that we're going to be playing today, and hope it encourages you to seek out some more jazz here or elsewhere. So today we're going to be looking at a very small segment of the career of the great New Orleans clarinet and soprano saxophone player Sidney Bechet. Uh, Sidney Bechet had been born in New Orleans in the late part of the 1890s. We don't really know when. The, the, <laughs> the, the dates are a little murky with Sidney, probably about 1897 or so. And uh, he was early on considered a prodigy in New Orleans, even to the point where he was teaching uh, students like Jimmy Noon and people like that who were younger than he was on clarinet. He started playing uh, when he found a clarinet of his brother's uh, laying around the house one day and basically just figured out how to play it himself. And for the rest of his life, he was pretty much an autodidact. He didn't read music to any degree that would have allowed him to uh, play in, in big bands, although he did play with the Noble Sissel big band because his ear was so good he could figure things out very quickly, and he was their featured soloist. Um, but he was really an improviser, and uh, he was a great uh, theatrical player as well. Not only uh, a great jazz musician, but he had a way of, of phrasing on clarinet, and then especially later on soprano saxophone, that was almost operatic in scope with his vibrato, but also, also with his phrasing and just the note choice that he would use. He's really the only jazz player who can be mentioned uh, in the same breath as Louis Armstrong in the 1920s and even into the 30s. So Bechet uh, started uh, his his wanderings very young, probably as a as an early teenager. He went to Texas with Clarence Williams, and uh, they did some 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 road shows and busking around in, in the Texas area before they came back to New Orleans. And pretty soon he was out on various tours and road shows with other bands as well. He ended up in Chicago in uh, the middle 1910s. He didn't last too long there. Uh, he went to Europe very early with uh, a couple of different groups with Will. Marion Cook's uh, large African-American uh, theatrical and variety organization. He ended up over there in about 1919, right after World War I, and he was written up by Ernst Ansermay, the great uh, conductor, who was quite young at the time, but even then looked at as a, as a prominent musician. He was a, a Swiss who was active in Paris, and he heard Bechet playing in a stage show and uh, wrote up a whole article that's been quoted many, many times about jazz in general and Bechet in uh, particular. So after coming back to the United States in the early 20s, Bechet settled in New York. He started playing soprano, probably when he was in England, uh, after he left Paris, the time we just talked about. He also spent some time in a Paris jail at one point or another. Uh, but in the United States, in uh, 1923, he began his recording career, although he said he made recordings earlier than that, but if he was telling the truth, they've never been found. Uh, he started recording with Clarence Williams' various groups in 1923 and 24, the Red Onion Jazz Babies and Clarence Williams and his Blue Five with Louis Armstrong. And uh, he played in New York uh, for about a year, year and a half. He uh, played somewhat regularly uh, with the uh, beginnings of the Duke Ellington Orchestra. Um, Ellington was uh, leading a small group not too long after he came from Washington, D.C. the second time, and he had people like Bubba Miley and Charlie Irvis in that band, and Bechet fit right in. They were doing more of a New Orleans-style uh, ensemble at the time, but Bechet brought in tunes. He um, demonstrated how to play the blues to the Eastern players, and uh, in, in, in a later development, he actually started working with Johnny Hodges, who hadn't been part of the stable and wouldn't be there for a while, but he tutored Hodges uh, quite extensively in Boston, and then Hodges came and played with him in New York for a while, too. But Bechet's uh, wanderlust was pretty significant, so he left uh, New York again in about 1925 to go to Europe. Uh, he toured Europe with several groups, and uh, this was actually the time he got into a fight in the Montmartre section of Paris and uh, ended up in jail for a while, and then he was extradited, I guess. Uh, he played in England for a while and then was back in the United States by the very late 1920s, about 1930 or so. 
And uh, he was playing with some different groups. He played with Noble Sissel for a little while. And uh, he led a, an excellent little band uh, that was called the New Orleans Feet Warmers. Actually, he co-led that with Tommy Ladnier, the trumpet player from New Orleans. And they made uh, some sides in 1932 that are considered uh, really some of the greatest New Orleans jazz ever recorded. However, it was the Depression, and uh, they couldn't make a living. They actually tried to make livings as, as, as a tailor. Uh, Bechet was a pretty good tailor, and uh, Ladnier helped out in some way, although Bechet later said he didn't help out much at all. But for a little while, they occupied themselves doing that. And then Bechet was hired again to go with Noble Sissel and made quite a few recordings with him, uh, going back and forth into Europe and in New York as well. So by the time we get to the uh, later part of the 1930s, where our story begins, Bechet was beginning to uh, pick up his workload again. He was starting to be recognized as a great improviser, which he had been all along, of course, and also as a great standard bearer of the New Orleans jazz style. Our first session we're going to listen to comes from November 28th of 1938. It was for RCA Victor, and it was by the Tommy Ladnier Orchestra. Tommy Ladnier, of course, had played with Bechet earlier. We just talked about that. Um, these sessions were produced by Hugh Panazier, the French critic who uh, was a very conservative critic of jazz, and to the end of his days, he didn't think jazz had ever progressed uh, at all beyond Louis Armstrong. Um, but he was interested in preserving some of the sounds of New Orleans jazz, which he felt had been lost even by 1938, and he was right about that. So he came over, and uh, with the help of Mez Mesro, white clarinet player from Chicago, who was also into the style, he put this band together, which consisted of Tommy Ladnier on trumpet, Bechet on clarinet and soprano sax, Mesro on clarinet and tenor sax, Cliff Jackson, the Harlem Stride piano, Teddy Bunn on guitar, Elmer James on bass, and Manzi Johnson on drums. And they made four sides that um, really continued that idea of the New Orleans jazz style from those 1932 New Orleans Feet Warmers sessions. Bechet was not allowed to be uh, acknowledged on the record because he was under contract uh, to another label. He was actually ending a contract to Decca Records. We're going to hear a couple of Decca sides coming up, and he was about to begin a very short contract with the Vocalion record label, and uh, we'll hear the fruit of that labor as well. So the sides we're going to hear today uh, are going to vary from this very traditional New Orleans style, which we're going to begin with, to uh, some semi-arranged swing charts uh, by a small group out of the uh, Noble Sissel Orchestra, and then to a very unusual group that Bechet put together, featuring him and baritone saxophonist Ernie Cazares, and uh, that, that, that has an entirely different feel to it. So all of these were recorded uh, between April of 1937 and November of 1938, so a year and a half or so, while Bechet was kind of uh, regaining his footing in New York. In 1940, he would sign a contract with RCA Victor to begin his series of recordings, which he called, uh, by the band, which he called, again, the New Orleans Feet Warmers. And then a little bit later, he started recording for Blue Note Records in a more traditional uh, setting. And then after that, of course, he went on to international renown. So we're going to begin uh, with a tune, a good old good one, as Louis Armstrong would say, from the 1800s called When You and I Were Young Maggie. And uh, from that point, we're going to go on to a tune called Jada, popular in the 1920s, written in the 1910s, I think, the late 1910s. Then a blues tune featuring Bechet and Mesro called Really the Blues. And then we're going to end up with a very hot tune uh, called The Weary Blues by Artie Matthews, a ragtime form tune, but it became a jazz standard uh, when the New Orleans Rhythm Kings recorded it in 1922. So we're going to hear that version as well. So those are our four tunes to begin with. When You and I Were Young Maggie, Jada, Really the Blues, and Weary Blues. Thank you. 
So there's some terrific New Orleans-style jazz from 1938, even though only two of the players in there were from New Orleans, Boucher and Ladnier. Um, Tommy Ladnier had been uh, active since the early 1920s. He'd come out of New Orleans and gone different places, but ended up in Chicago, where he started making recordings in 1923 with Lovey Austin and a lot of the blues groups from that um, from that realm there. He also played with King Oliver for a little while and uh, ended up replacing uh, Louis Armstrong with the Fletcher Henderson Band in New York in the middle to, or in the, rather in the late 1920s. In between those two stints, he had gone to Europe with Sam Wooding's band and gone to uh, the Soviet Union. He'd been in France, he'd been in Germany, and made quite a few recordings with them. By the time he came back to America in the early 30s, he was uh, having health problems and wasn't playing as strong as he had. He was really known as a very strong blues player in his day. By these sessions in 1938, he was suffering from heart ailments and some other things. He actually passed away about a year after these sessions were made, but uh, good to have these uh, even from the end of his life. And he is well featured throughout. Uh, we started with when you and I were a young Maggie. that started out with Sidney Bechet on soprano sax, went to clarinet a little bit later. We heard some uh, very good mid-range trumpet playing by Ladnier, as well as some fruity tenor sax by Mesro, who was a curious player in every regard. He was not really a superb player, but he uh, was well thought of by the musicians for a variety of reasons. And... Um, we went from there to Jada, which featured a couple of members of the rhythm section. Uh, we featured uh, Cliff Jackson in a nice stride piano solo. He had been in New York all through the 30s, from the late 20s. He had his own band that recorded in the early 30s, and uh, he was uh, a, a well-known presence in New York up until, I believe, the 1960s, maybe even into the 70s. He was married to um, Maxine Sullivan at one point, and they were uh, a duo for a bit. We also heard Teddy Bunn, the guitar player, and he uh, reappears on, on a Boucher session for Blue Note in the next year. Um, and he had a particularly interesting way of, of playing blues guitar that was a little more sophisticated than a typical blues guitarist, and uh, he could fit in with a lot of jazz groups. He had recorded with Ellington and McKinney's Cotton Pickers, I believe, in the 1920s and early 30s. And also, of course, we had some more Mesro and two choruses of Tommy Ladnier on that tune. The next tune, really the blues, was a feature for the two clarinets playing a duet that they had worked out in the studio that they recreated a number of times in later years. Uh, there's another podcast that will come from a radio show I did for WETF uh, devoted to the uh, workings of the King Jazz record label, which was a record label founded by Mesro in the mid-40s to feature him and Bechet on a series of recordings, and they recorded quite frequently there and did some very interesting things. And so... Check that out if you're interested. Then we finished up with a really barn-burning version of the Weary Blues that uh, just had a lot of uh, fire to it and, a, and an absolutely fantastic Bechet clarinet solo. Bechet kind of moved away from the clarinet by the mid-40s and uh, only occasionally returned to it uh, in the last 15 years of his life or so. He, he favored the soprano largely because, well, first of all, it's an easier instrument to, to blow, but also he uh, saw himself as the lead horn in most of his groups, whether or not there was a trumpet player there, and soprano is a little more declarative uh, than clarinet, so that was one of the other reasons that he featured himself on that. So we're going to go on now to a uh, that interesting session for Vocalion I had mentioned earlier. This is um, something that was put out under the title of Sidney Bechet and his Orchestra. This was actually one of the first uh, recordings to, to be issued under Bechet's name. It was from November 16th of 1938, so not too long, actually a little bit before uh, the recording we just heard, which was November 28th. And this was done in New York for Vocalion Records, and it features Sidney Bechet on clarinet and soprano sax. We have Ernie Cazares, who was a, uh, a white uh, baritone sax player from Mexico, actually. He and his brother, Emilio, had come to New York in the mid-30s. Uh, they had a small group. Emilio played violin, and Ernie played mostly clarinet, and uh, they had a bass and a guitar player with them. They made some recordings. Uh, but... Uh, um, Ernie became uh, a first call musician for a lot of the white Dixieland players uh, from that point on, but also for some of the big bands. He played uh, 
lead clarinet and lead alto for the Jack Teagarden Big Band. He played baritone sax and alto and clarinet for Glenn Miller for a while. Uh, he played in the radio studios. He played in Paul Barron's orchestra. He was uh, he was a very accomplished musician and one of the most underrated jazz improvisers of the late 30s and early 40s. He had a, a, an amazing command of the baritone sax. Uh, only someone like Harry Carney could have been uh, compared with him and and Cazares was really more of a soloist than Carney was. Uh, and you'll hear a little bit of that on here. We've played some of his recordings on uh, the Muggsy Spanier uh, podcast you did a little bit back, so go out and check those out as well. Also on this band, we have Dave Bowman on piano. Bowman was also playing with some of the Eddie Condon groups around town and at Nick's uh, in the village in 1938, as was Cazares from time to time. At Leonard Ware on electric guitar, early uh, appearance of an electric guitar, Henry Turner on bass, Zudi Singleton on drums, and what is called the Two Fishmongers uh, vocal duet. I think it was Bechet and possibly Zudi Singleton. Um, and they're going to sing on one of the tunes. So the four tunes we're going to hear from this session are all by Bechet. What a dream. Hold tight. Want some seafood mama, which is Bechet. And according to the notes here, Bechet, Ware, Robinson, Spotswood, and Smith. This was a very complicated um, provenance for this tune. Bechet said he wrote it, but it actually had been written by someone else that he had kind of appropriated. And then it was further appropriated um, for the Andrews Sisters recording, which came a little bit later. In fact, I think one of the Andrews Sisters got some composer credit as well on their uh, version because she rewrote some of the lyrics. At any rate, we will hear the fishmonger, fishmongers doing the original vocal on here. Then we're going to hear a collaboration between Bechet and Zudi Singleton uh, called Jungle Drums, and then finish up with, uh, I think, the most interesting tune from this date, Chant in the Night. So we're going to hear those, and we're also going to finish up with a, a song called uh, Okie Dokie. And uh, that, of course, is an expression. Uh, and this was done by Noble Sissel Swingsters. This is the first or the earliest recording we're going to be listening to from April of 1937 for the Variety label. Bechet was still with the big band, Noble Sissel and his big band. In fact, he had recorded two days earlier um, with the full band and uh, went into the studio uh, on the 16th of April uh, with this small group, Noble Sissel Swingsters. Bechet on clarinet and soprano, Jimmy Miller on guitar, Jimmy Jones on bass and Wilbert Kirk on drums. That was the rhythm section of the of the Sissel Orchestra without the piano. And featured on vocal is a interesting fellow called Billy Banks. And if you heard uh, my podcast on the Rhythm Makers recordings, you heard a lot of Billy Banks. And he toured and sang with Noble Sissel for a while during this period too. So that would be Okie Dokie. So those are our four tunes: What a Dream, Hold Tight, Jungle Drums, Chant in the Night, and Okie Dokie. Thank you. 
Some interesting playing there. That was Sidney Bechet doing Okie Dokie with Noble Sissel's Swingsters. And he was featured with that band um, at different points and I guess their engagements and so forth, just with the rhythm section. So we get a sense of that. The next tune we're going to hear is the other tune from that session. I'll tell you about that in just a second. So we started out with that session by Sidney Bechet and his orchestra for Vocalion in November of 1938, featuring uh, Bechet on soprano and clarinet and Ernie Cazares on baritone sax. Also some very interesting and early electric guitar solos by Leonard Ware. Efford G. Ware was his uh, real name, I think. So we started out with What a Dream, and again, all of these tunes were written by Bechet. What a Dream is based on the chord changes of the standard uh, tune Deed I Do, and uh, featured good solos all around. Then we had Hold Tight with that vocal by the Fishmongers, and I had said Bechet was one of them, but I take it back because he was playing all through the vocal, so it couldn't have been him. Um, so I don't know who the singers were in that case. Then we went to Jungle Drums, which was an interesting tune uh, Bechet and Zudi Singleton collaborated on, sort of taking advantage of that drum and uh, horn uh, sound that was becoming so popular, or had become so popular with Benny Goodman and Gene Krupa and Artie Shaw as well. Then we finished up with Chant in the Night, finished up that session anyway, and uh, that was an interesting tune with some, some written out parts and some good interplay between the two saxophones. Boucher played clarinet occasionally through there, but mostly played soprano, and the combination of that soprano and baritone sax is kind of interesting. Um, unfortunately, it was never repeated by Boucher. This was just a one-off recording uh, session, and uh, too bad it wasn't uh, it didn't develop into a little bit more. But even in 1938, the idea of a mixed race band was uh, was a difficult one uh, if you wanted it to be a regular band outside of New York City. If you wanted to take it on tour, that caused all kinds of problems, especially if you went down in, to the South, uh, having whites and blacks in the same band. So that didn't happen too often uh, until probably the mid-1940s at least. And then, as I said, we finished up with Okie Dokie. So Bechet, as I said, during the 1930s was playing with a lot of different groups. He was uh, spending a lot of time playing at Nick's club in the village, Nick Rongetti's. He led a trio or a quartet, often with Zudi Singleton. Uh, he was playing at uh, a resort or a camp, actually, in Fonda, New York, uh, for several years, usually from October through January or February. It ended up... Um, being a fairly steady gig for him, and uh, he, he, he kept the wolf from the door doing that. Uh, he played a few times at Camp Unity, which uh, he didn't like. He was not a political person, and Camp Unity was a very left-wing, uh, almost communist uh, type of camp, very, uh, very politically active. Some musicians like um, Frankie Newton, the trumpet player, were, were quite happy to be there. He was a very politically active person, and he and Bechet recorded together for Blue Note, but they did not share political uh, sentiments. Uh, so Bechet was playing with all of these different groups. He would uh, periodically go for concerts to places like Boston and Chicago and um, Philadelphia as well, but uh, he kept reasonably busy until he started making those recording dates for RCA Victor and later Blue Note, and then he became uh, the, uh, the, the grand uh, eminence of New Orleans jazz at that point. After he moved to France in the late 1940s, he became a national figure for French music and uh, was a celebrity over there. And when he passed away in the late 50s, he was accorded something on the lines of a state funeral. Uh, he was a, a very, very popular player in France playing just the style of New Orleans jazz that he had grown up with. Well, having said that, we're going to finish with a, a set that is not New Orleans-y at all, although we are going to start with the balance of the Noble Sissel Swingsters date from April 16th. And this is called the Characteristic Blues. And as I said, uh, Billy Banks will be featured as a vocalist on this one. He didn't sing on the other one. And this uh, may be the development of, of the tune that Ernst Danzermay heard Bechet play on stage in 1919 that caused him to write such a glowing review. Um, this is a slow blues, very dramatic and very... Um, elastic sounding blues, the way uh, Bechet plays it, and then he goes into double time and actually quotes the classic clarinet solo of High Society uh, after that, and that was for Variety. In February of 1938, which was um, about, what, 10 months later, um, the Noble Sissel Swingsters did their last recording date for Decca, and Bechet was... Uh, 
signed to do a contract, I guess, for Decca. He didn't record under his own name. He recorded uh, with Noble Sissel Swingsters and some blues sessions that we're going to be featuring on an upcoming podcast with Trixie Smith and Grant and Wilson. He also recorded some uh, Haitian tunes with Willie the Lion Smith that were not at all popular, but um, are still part of the Bechet discography. These Noble Sissel Swingsters were basically the same group that we just heard. Bechet on clarinet and soprano, Jimmy Miller on guitar, Jimmy Jones on bass, and Wilbert Kirk on drums. Although O'Neill Spencer may replace O'Neil, uh, Wilbert Kirk on drums because he also sings. Spencer was the drummer with the John Kirby sextet. We're also going to hear Clarence Brereton on trumpet, Gil White on tenor sax, and Har- uh, Harry or Harvey Brooks, I think, on piano. He also did the arrangements and co-composed one of the tunes. So after we hear the characteristic blues, we're going to that session, and we're going to hear Viper Mad by Sidney Bechet, which is a takeoff on a tune he wrote or, or performed in the 1920s called Pleasure Mad. Then we're going to hear When the Sun Sets Down South, uh, co-composed by Bechet and Brooks. Then Sweet Patootie, a bluesy tune by Lucille Bogan. And then we're going to end up with a great Bechet tune that um, I'm not sure he recorded. I think he might have re-recorded in France later on called Blackstick, featuring his clarinet, but then his soprano as well. So those are the tunes we're going to hear in this set. The Characteristic Blues, Viper Mad, When the Sun Sets Down South, Sweet Patootie, and Blackstick. Thank you. 
must have my fun I'm never sad It can't be done The people are talking But I don't care I'm 21, far from done I've just begun Wrap your chops Round this stick of tea Blow this gauge And get high with me Good tea is my weakness I know it's bad It sends me gaze And I can't wait I'm Viper Man
lady, she lives down by the jail. Got a sign on a door, sweet patootie for sale. Sweet patootie, only thing she craves. Sweet patootie, it just won't have. Sweet patootie, gonna carry her to her grave. Now she's locked around the chest. Her waist is kind of small, but from there on down, it's Lord, Lord, Lord. Sweet patootie, only thing she craves. Sweet patootie, it just won't have. Sweet patootie, gonna carry me to my grave. <laughs> yes, sir.
there is Sidney Bechet from 1937 and 38. We started out with Characteristic Blues, a very impassioned blues performance by Bechet with Noble Sissel Swingsters, just him and the rhythm section, April of 1937, followed about 10 months later, February of 1938, by the same named group, Noble Sissel Swingsters, Bechet with Jimmy Miller on guitar, Jimmy Jones on bass, Wilbert Kirk or O'Neill Spencer on drums, not sure which. O'Neill Spencer sings on two of the tracks. Uh, Harvey Brooks on piano, Clarence Brereton on trumpet, and Gil White on tenor sax and clarinet as well, doing four tunes. We started out with Viper Mad, featuring a vocal by O'Neill Spencer. Uh, take off on Pleasure Mad from the 1920s. This one replete with uh, drug references and everything else. Uh, then When the Sun Sets Down South, which was also known as Southern Sunset, a very atmospheric piece that... Uh, it's never really been picked up by any bands. That's a really great uh, tune. Some trad bands have done it, and I've been in one that used to play it, but uh, that deserves a revival, arranged by Harvey Brooks as well. Then Sweet Patootie, that Lucille Bogan tune. Lucille Bogan was known for her dirty blues. By her standards, Sweet Patootie was not terribly dirty at all, although O'Neill Spencer tries his best to get some uh, get some funk in the lyrics there. <laughs> and then we heard Blackstick, uh, one of my favorite Sidney Bechet tunes on the way out, featuring his clarinet and then his soprano, doing a, a kind of a jungle drum type of uh, feeling to it. There was a recording made in France um, in the 60s, I think. I think it was Michel Attenu who did that uh, in a much faster, uh, more rocking tempo, which uh, worked as well. So I hope you've enjoyed the Sidney Bechet program. Sidney Bechet, and uh, sort of between his uh, the facets of his recording career, his 20s career, and some of the early New Orleans stuff, and then before he became uh, a visible presence on the New York scene playing traditional jazz in the 1940s and 50s, leading to his residence in France. So you've been listening to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Hope you uh, enjoy these programs enough to keep listening. And if you'd like to sponsor, please do hit that sponsorship button at the top of your uh, menu or bottom or sides or inside or wherever you might find it on Anchor.fm or Spotify or wherever you're finding the Jazz Focus. So until next time, I'll see you on the other side.